Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us today online. And I would like to add my welcome to that of Megan's. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Today we start a new five-week series that we will, be, we will do between now and Christmas. Hopefully five weeks won't seem like uh, four months, but to explain a little, we will do two this week and then next week, and then we will take a break, and then we will do three later towards the end of the year. I want to explore one book from the Old Testament, which I believe is very important and has a profound message for all of us in these days. We're going to look at the book of Habakkuk. And today we will begin with an overview of the book and touch upon some of the main themes and some of the main concepts and then revisit them over the season. So we're going to start by reading Habakkuk chapter 1 through to the beginning of chapter 2. It begins with this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you not see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And then the Lord answers, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished, for I am doing the work in your days that you would not believe if told, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press pr- proudly on, their horsemen come from afar, they fly fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh, they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Now we have Habakkuk's second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, that are crawling things that have no rulers. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. Then the first verse of chapter 2 says these words, I will take my stand 
at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to you and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It is a valid question to ask, what on earth does a prophet like Habakkuk, who lived nearly 2,700 years ago, have to say to New Zealand, let alone Hamilton and Gateway? Why bother to explore this literature and what does it have to say to us? However, personally, and because I have chosen this, I believe it is very significant and it is very relevant for us today and can bring hope to us in our situation if we will allow it to. The title of this series is The Spiritual Journey of a Godly Man, and we will track with Habakkuk through a season of his life, and I hope that we will find some fascinating things about his life that will encourage us and give us insight how to be godly people. Not much is known about the writer other than the fact that he was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah and probably Zephaniah. So this means that he was prophesying ministering, especially in the southern kingdom around the years 612 BC to around 586 BC, or maybe slightly earlier. You can see the map that is on the screen shows the division between the 10 tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. The importance of understanding when he spoke is because he was speaking at a very turbulent time for the people of Judah. As Jeremiah and Habakkuk were speaking, the boots of the Babylonian Empire were getting closer and closer to the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom being made up of the two tribes after the nation of Israel had been divided. It's important to note here that sometimes we use the phrase Chaldeans, sometimes we use the phrase Babylonians. Chaldeans, uh, the, the nation of Chaldea is in the area of Iran, Iraq, which we'll come and see in a moment. And Babylon was the capital of that area. So sometimes these phrases are interchangeable. For those of you who are, are from Europe, sometimes we would use the phrase the United Kingdom or we would use the phrase Great Britain. They are similar. They are close enough that most people know the area that we are talking about. So when we use Chaldeans or the Babylonian Empire, they are interchangeable in many ways and the picture the photo will show that these two tribes had stood and watched how the 10 tribes had been taken into captivity by a huge superpower Assyria and they had a perspective on it that it would never happen to us we won't face anything like that God won't allow this to happen to us was their, their strong belief. God had abandoned the 10 tribes because they were godless, but we are godly, so we are safe. That was what they thought. But as the Babylonians got closer and closer to them, they failed to see it because they assumed it would never happen. So in 607 BC, 597 BC and 587 BC, in three large groups, the Babylonians, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, took the people away from what we call Israel and took them to what is known as modern-day Iran and Iraq. They never saw it coming and could not make sense of it. They didn't understand what was happening as the various groups were taken away into captivity. And the cry was, how on earth did this 
happened to them. Their whole society, their whole culture, their whole identity was under threat. And Habakkuk speaks to God about this. As I said, we know very little about Habakkuk, but we do know that he had a great problem with all that was going on around him. This book is a set of complaints, cries, and questions to God, and then we have God's answers to them. There isn't a single message in this book or in this journal from Habakkuk to the people of Judah. It is every other prophet in the Old Testament, in that sense, speaks to a nation or in a sense a people group. He doesn't do that, do this. And the only book that is similar to Habakkuk is the book of Jonah. The book of Habakkuk is a complaint by a godly man about the wicked and their prosperity. It is a heartfelt cry to God that says, where are you when everything goes wrong? How can it be right that stuff is happening around us and you haven't intervened? How can this be going on around me and you haven't done something about it? Why haven't you defended us? Why haven't you come to our help? And God answers. Chapter one, as we read, has two complaints from Habakkuk and God answers them both. In chapter two, Habakkuk starts to make sense of what God says. And then we come into chapter three, where he is able to offer up a prayer of trust and worship to God. What makes this book unique in so many ways is this. What we read in these three chapters is really a private journal as opposed to a personal letter or anything else sent to someone outside. It is a journal that Habakkuk is keeping for himself. This is a document of one man's cry to God about what is happening in his nation and in the world. That then God crafts through inspiration, which we will come to in a, in a while, so that all the people of Judah hear or read what he has written and that God has answers. See, what this is partly about is that when we bring our questions to God, God will answer even if we don't like them, even if we don't hear them initially. We are invited into this lament, into a cry, into the profoundly important question is, why is life as it is? Why do you, God, seem to do so little about things when you really should be doing them? This is why I think this book is important and thus we will work through it over these weeks to ask ourselves, how do we wrestle with God and what questions can we ask of him? Habakkuk, as I've said, is worried about wickedness, injustice, oppression, and stuff that is simply wrong, that is taking over Judah. He is worried and angry that God does not seem to be doing anything about it and he asks why these perverse, wicked people here in Judah are getting away with stuff that he doesn't believe that they should be, but it is compounded by the fact that God seems to be sleeping and doing nothing. So God answers him in, in verse 6 of chapter 1 and says that he will do something. He says this, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth, breadth of the earth, to seize dwellings, not their own. He says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans to overcome you. And Habakkuk is horrified and resents God's answer. So he replies 
by asking how can he how can this be right how can god be right in doing this because the chaldeans are more wicked than the tribes of judah themselves why is it that you are using poor people that are more wicked than us to punish us it doesn't seem fair it doesn't seem right so having asked or having said that you are doing nothing and god replies and he says i am doing something that you don't like habakkuk is really offended by this and says god you were doing the wrong thing this is not the way that you should be answering my prayer and we can feel his frustration through his reply but i am sure that most of us if we are really honest have had a sort of discussion like this with god why are you answering my prayers like this but god says i am going to deal with it habakkuk and habakkuk continues to push back but god then says to him you are missing the point because after i have dealt with you i will deal with them no one is going to get away with their behavior i am going to deal with it and you're going to have to learn to trust me so habakkuk in these three chapters goes on a journey through which he learns to trust in god and in so doing he learns how god deals with evil god this isn't the right way to deal with it habakkuk says you should deal with it according to my plans but eventually he comes to a place where he can trust god and he comes to a place where he understands that if he doesn't understand he can still trust thus we eventually come to this beautiful and powerful eternal promise of god to this man to this tribe of judah and to you and i as followers of jesus today which we are called to hold on to in times of storms and difficulties and uncertainties and chapter 2 verse 14 says this for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the lord as the waters cover the sea let me explain what i mean if you think today that things aren't right are in a mess and are not sorted and god doesn't care or seemingly not doing anything about it well this is okay it is because we haven't come to the end of time we haven't come to the end of his plans and it isn't over until God says it is over. God says to Habakkuk in the midst of his questions, nothing is going to be left unsorted. And one day the knowledge of my glory and my majesty will cover the whole earth just as the waters covers the oceans. So Habakkuk's mindset, his position, his attitude begins to change. He begins to thank God. He begins to express his worship and trust in God he comes to this profoundly moving section at the end of his letter having started with why God he says these words though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food the flock may be cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will take joy in the God of my salvation God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then it says these words to the choir master with stringed instruments. That's a very strange way to finish it off. But the reason that that is that is to ensure and to make sure that this is not simply a private declaration, that this is not just simply a private journal that ends with 
to the choir master and it's just a full stop. This additional musical notation leads some to believe that he was qualified, that is Habakkuk, to lead worship in the temple as a member of the Levitical family and that God wanted this private journal to be more than just that, that he wanted his journal not simply to remain the writings of a questioning, doubtful and maybe fearful man, but a song to be sung that those who have learned to trust even in the darkest days. As Rick Warren says, a faith that works when life doesn't. That whatever happens in our lives, we can ultimately trust God, even without all our questions being answered. That whatever goes on around us and when circumstances point away from him, when everything seems to be going wrong, he is still there. This book, throughout the history of the people of Israel and the church, has been used powerfully by God for those who have profound questions. It doesn't matter if that profound question is, why, God, are you letting me go through sickness? Or why is the church seeing so much persecution? Or why is our nation pursuing wickedness? Or why haven't things worked out the way that it should? He welcomes our questions. And God, I believe through Habakkuk, gives us this invitation to come to him. A book like this may not give us the answers we want, but it does give us the answer that we need. That God sees everything, that he knows everything, and that he never will or has never had any thoughts of abandoning us, his people. And in the end, we will have to make a choice of whether we will trust him or not. In so doing, learning that we can bring our questions and uncertainties and our anxieties and perhaps even fears before him, but that he is also a safe place for all these things. See, in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish people faced a great deal of spiritual and political uncertainty. It was one of the worst times in their histories. The Romans came and overran them, and there were terrible things done to them as a people and as a nation. A series of documents that were found in 1947 relating to that time are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in a community of Qumran by Bedouin teenagers who were looking after their herds of goats and sheep near the ancient settlement of Qumran located in the north shore of the Dead Sea which is known today as the West Bank. I mention this because something unique was found in those scrolls that give us a great insight into this book of Habakkuk and its importance. Some of the scrolls contained two sets of commentaries on the book of Habakkuk and that makes this book unique. This makes this book stand alone. There were more commentaries, in other words, about this book than any other book in the Old Testament and every single book in the Old Testament is referenced and referred to apart from the book of Esther. They were preserved and they were kept during the most incredibly difficult times that the, the nation of Israel went through. When Israel faced uncertainty politically, when it faced uncertainty spiritually, when it faced uncertainty socially, it checked out. Its go-to book was Habakkuk. They read this book time and time again. They poured over it, they studied it. I would suggest that we face an uncertain future. In fact, the world is facing an uncertain future. 
and God's people, we his children, can do little better than return to this book. That it is the book that will give us the answers. Maybe not the answers we want, but the answers we need about how we can live faithfully and learn what it is to trust. Over this series, we are going to look at where God is when things are falling apart. We will also see why God lets people get away with things in the short term. Then we explore the reality that God will have the last word and that he sees all things and that he will put all things right. Something that we don't always believe when we walk through life. We will also explore the truth that God has the power to transform lives by his grace and his mercy. And lastly, we will see Habakkuk's declaration of trust in the midst of the uncertainties of life. As we go through and journey through Habakkuk, I want us to note a couple of things that will set us up for coming weeks. In chapter 1, verse 2, Habakkuk asks the question, How long, O Lord? We will see, as I said, more in the next week. But he says, How long, O Lord, shall I cry out to you? And how long will you not hear? Even when I cry out to your holiness and to your character, you will not save. In other words, his initial complaint to God is, Why aren't you doing something for me? Immediately followed by, why aren't you doing something to stop them? How many of us ask these questions? Why aren't you doing something for me? And this, I believe, is an honest question of faith. It is not something to be afraid of or run away from or to be ashamed by or embarrassed by. Christian faith is not the absence, as we know, of doubt. As we know, the opposite of faith is not doubt but unbelief before we come to faith in jesus christ we are in a place of unbelief but when we come face to face with jesus and our lives are transformed doubt doesn't miraculously disappear for the road we will walk and we all will do is a road of both faith and doubt and this comes from a godly man asking questions sometimes getting answers stumbling falling and getting up again is the way of the cross is the way that we are called to be christians who walk by faith when believers come to me and say that they have so many questions about god and that they doubt their faith my immediate answer is this the fact that you are asking the question proves that you still believe in him what one is trying to do is to work out what it is we believe about him why O oh lord how long O oh lord have we not all asked these questions of god when we have known people in our families or our church going through hell and heartbreak and the pain they do when we see death and when we see families at odds and we see children and parents separated for different reasons and arguments about marriages that break down we ask these questions and it is okay to do so how long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow this to continue? Whoever has such a question should know that they can come with confidence before him. It is an honest question of faith. It is not a declaration of unbelief. It is really saying, God, help me. Maybe you or a family member have been living with illness for some time. Maybe you are concerned about what is happening in our own nation. 
Oh Lord, when are we going to get a breakthrough? Are good, responsible questions that he welcomes, I believe. They are honest questions of a man called Habakkuk who represents the godly in Judah. He represents the men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who are doing their best to serve God. Who, when they look around them and see a people, they see a population who are ignoring God and getting away with it. It is the same as you and me who are trying to serve God and we see and know of people around us who are doing things that are deeply wrong, morally, ethically, spiritually, and we ask the same question of God, how on earth are they getting away with it and why are you letting them? It is a good question of the Christian faith. So in verse 2, as we saw, how long becomes why, O Lord? So God answers and he says in verse 6 that I'm raising up a people to deal with them, the Chaldeans. But the prophet is not happy nor content with this answer. That just can't be right. You cannot use people who are more unrighteous than we are to judge us. You see, God, that is not fair. And fundamentally, God says to him, I know what I am doing. And I think that this is one of the key messages of Habakkuk. Very often, this is what God wants us to hear and accept. How many times have we prayed and then proceeded to give God the answer? I know that I have and I still do. We all do it. God has ways of answering our prayers and it is often often different to the ways we want it to be. I am sure that we can all think of countless times in our life and in those of our faith community when God didn't answer our prayers the way that we wanted to. My voice, like yours, has cried out very often to God, where are you? What are you doing? What is going on? Will this ever stop? Situations he didn't change, heartbreaks he didn't take away. And it only became clear later that he used that heartbreak to minister to us or to someone or to say something to someone who needed to hear a profound word from God in the midst of their hellishness. So God answers, and it is often not what we want to hear, but it is the fact that he is listening. In all reality, underneath all these questions for Habakkuk, and I would like to say for you and me, are more profound and perhaps more important questions such as, God, are you really who you say you are? Do you really like me? Do you really love me? Are you really committed to me? God, why aren't you there when I ask the question why my life doesn't make sense? Are you really going to turn up? See, every Christian I have ever talked to at any length has asked such profound and challenging questions. If you haven't, then you will, because it is the journey of faith of a godly person And we will all go through such seasons like this if we haven't already gone through. And perhaps we will go through several. And if we let God carry us through to the other side and to trust him, we will emerge with a simpler, purer and stronger faith. The reason this is so is because we don't live our lives in the questions. We live our lives in the bosom of the answer with our head resting on our Saviour. He says, Chris Jones, come with all your questions. 
and I will wrap my arms around you. And when you have run out of questions, frustrations, anger, and sometimes sheer folly, impatience, and resentment, he says, I will still be holding you. Then he says, I can help you. It is not wrong to ask questions. It is not the wrong thing to do at all. As we've seen Habakkuk's cry, God, where are you? Is a good, good question. But he says, I haven't finished yet. It's not all over yet. So please today, let our cry be to God of where you are and what are you doing? But please also to help us understand, please God, take me by the hand because as he hears our questions, he just calls us to trust and do nothing else. And so then we come to chapter three and we hear and we read the prophet's prayer and it begins in verse one and two. And then in verses three to 15, he has a profound revelation of God's power. He says, look at what, has God, what God has done. And he goes through the history of the nation of Israel really and how wonderful and how majestic God is. He says, look at the story of his people and his mercy and his power and his awesomeness. It's an incredible declaration of truth. But there's even more after that. We come to verse 16 and he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk has an encounter with God. He says, I hear, I see, something has shifted in him. In this time period, there has come a dramatic shift from the man who's asking the questions to the person who is starting to simply trust. I believe he has an encounter with God and it is only after he has had this encounter, having come through the doubts and the questions, that he can say this. Though the fig tree shall, should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In the end, Habakkuk, needs an encounter with the living God to bring him to a place of trust. We all know that we are part of a Pentecostal church and we enjoy great gatherings, but if the Holy Spirit is not active, not present, not vital in our lives, it will achieve very little. Every one of us to get through life, I believe, needs an encounter with the living God. We need his power to be working in our lives. We need his presence to be guiding us and connecting what he says into our hearts and into our souls. We will not make it through Christianity with just intellectual assent because there will be times when we don't understand and we don't understand and in those times that we don't understand, we will just have to make the choice to trust. Neither will we make it through on feelings or emotions for when we don't feel or experience something, we will again have to trust this is so counterintuitive to how our society tells us how to live out our lives. Do what you feel, do what makes you feel happy, do what your emotions say. And sometimes God says, no, just trust. The Christian life and walk 
is built on the premise and the conviction that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to every single believer who may know that they are in God, that they receive the gift of faith, that they be given the assurance of their salvation, that they understand and apply scripture, that they know praise in their hearts, that they move in their gifts, and it is built around the reality that we need an encounter with God whom we begin to trust. We all need an encounter because most of us are caught up in the how, why, and when. The how, when, and why of life. And it is robbing us of joy and hope. Come and meet us, living God, we ask. Some of us watching and listening here today have come from a variety of church backgrounds where we have been broken by legalism, devastated by liberalism, upset by petty arguments, and disillusioned and just simply want to get up, uh, give up. And sadly, it gets in the way of the fact that we need to be a people of faith and community built around Jesus, a present, living, active saviour. So in the weeks that lie ahead, in the next four weeks that come, we will have a look at the book of Habakkuk and see what he has to say to us today in our situation and in what we find ourselves. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this book teaches us that it is possible to live above our circumstances and to even rejoice in them by focusing on a God who stands above all. Holy Spirit, wherever we are today, we welcome you and we ask you to come. We ask you to exalt Jesus in our midst and to help us as the people to learn to trust more and more. Amen. As we close today, please join with me as I have the privilege of pronouncing the blessing over us all as a fellowship. It's from Numbers something of Numbers chapter 6 and it's something that we do every time we conclude a gathering. Let us pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance towards you and give you his peace. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the shalom and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and this coming week and until he comes again. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.